On this week's episode of the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I share my interview with Tyler Reiswig of Bitchin' Bikes in Chico, California. Each week on the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I get on the phone with a frame builder and we talk about their story, how they learned what they learned, uh, their process, and nerdy details like that. And I like to talk about perspectives and you know how we feel about these different big ideas and the industry at large and all of that crap. So this week, uh, Tyler Reiswig is my guest and uh, he's been doing bitchin' bikes in Chico, California for the last four years or so. And uh, so we, we talk about, you know, his story, uh, getting started with all that and the community that's there in Chico and the different people that uh, he's known along the way who've helped him figure out what he's figured out. And we talk about some of the projects that he's working on and process details. And I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, I hope you enjoy it too. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, it's kind of funny. Somewhat recently, one of my buddies who I've been friends with since high school and we mountain bike together and, and everything then, uh, he reminded me that I would talk about building bike frames like in high school. And I totally forgot about that because it was kind of in a, in a different context you know i don't think i was really aware of like the custom frame building scene so much then um you know it's more of you know i had my bought my first specialized enduro and and was beating that thing around and trying to come up with ways to make it better and you know i was always making parts for it turn it turn it into one by and then the chain would fall off because we didn't have narrow wide chain rings and <laughs> build you know bash guards and stuff for them and yada yada so yeah, I, it, it's been, I guess, in my head always a possibility, but it wasn't really until probably about five years ago that that I realized it was something that was attainable for me to do and even potentially something to, to turn into to viable business. Yeah. And, and so uh, we talked about this a little bit already, but um, off offline. But you were saying how you know you you learned how to operate a metalworking lathe at the age of like eight or something, and that you know you've been TIG <laughs> yeah. welding since you were twelve. Like you you grew up, uh, you guys had a shop at at home or something, and so you've you've been doing uh, you know metal fabrication for a long time. And for you, when you decided to get serious about bike frame building, you knew enough of the mechanics of fabrication to figure out how to go about making bikes and you didn't need to start at a, a classic UBI or something, right? Yeah, totally, totally. I, I pretty much just jumped right in. And yeah, like, like we'd mentioned, um, yeah, I, I've, I've been playing around with machine tools for my whole life. That's kind of what I grew up around. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a, you know, small engine repair shop that my dad owns and, and we had a, a machine shop in our backyard. The shop was bigger than our house and we spent all of our time there. Uh, I was like, come home from work and go out in the shop until it was late enough to come inside and eat some food and go to bed. Um, <laughs> Sounds so, awesome. yeah, pretty much. Right. So yeah, I definitely felt like um, you know I, ha- I had enough skills to to figure it out. There's still just a, a ton of, of weird idiosyncrasies in, in building bike frames to make them straight. Um, you know, keep your miters totally tight, and that that was definitely a, a learning curve. Um, I'd never spent much time brazing it anything and when i started building my first few frames i I didn't have a tig welder with me um and it was too much of a hassle to go across town to you know haul my jig across town to go tack something up at my dad's house or whatever um and so i started brazing and uh that was obviously a learning curve too it's all you know kind of similar you're all just just working in the puddle right but but yeah it was uh it was definitely a learning curve and something that was just just so trippy still trips me out to think about but um, I was living up in Paradise at the time, and my neighbor, who moved across the street like a year after I moved up there, was Mitch Pryor. 
of map bicycles and so that was that was really strange that was like right about the time that i started uh started getting ready to build my first frame and so we hit it off and i'd go over and, and ask him a million questions all the time and he totally helped point me in the right direction which is yeah really cool really really helpful yeah his work was tremendous and uh and for anyone yeah, who yeah. doesn't know, you know, he in the in the fires that came through California, what was it like two years ago? His entire shop yeah. completely burned down, and um, yeah. it's devastating to to see that there were photos. I think on the Radivist, uh, I think mm-hmm. uh, you know, and you can see like bike frames and all this stuff that uh, you could still tell what it was, but like the aluminum parts were totally melted, and it's just yeah. it's tragic because you know it's not just like a business or something and it's not just a pile of tools it's like when you love and care about you know making bikes and it's not like a profitable venture for most people it's like you pour your heart into that and that's that's uh that's hard oh man and his shop was so beautiful i mean he had put so much time into making it a really really nice space and yeah and, and that's the hard thing too it's like you know i'm sure it's kind of like it with all of us we all collect tools over the years and it's not like you just go out and buy brand new stuff. It's, yeah. it's all either come from people, you know, or you got a good deal on it and then you refurbed it. And it's just like so crazy to, to even try to comprehend losing a collection of stuff like that. Yeah. It's yeah. And all at, all at once, a total, like everything. Yeah. yeah that's, it's, that's devastating. Yeah. And so you knew him through that time and, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I definitely want to get to in this interview is talking about the value of like community and the resources of just humans, you know, like knowing other people in your area. And, you know, so you're in Chico area and, you know, Paul and, you know, a handful of I'm sure, you know, a handful of people who are interested in making stuff and into bikes and uh, yeah, and, and Mitch. And so like there's. Uh, different people in the, what was it? Mountain goat was there previously. And so there's some of those yeah. folks around and, uh, and that's something that I, I always am jealous of when I hear about, it, cause there's just not a whole lot in my part of central New York. Uh, the FBM BMX shop used to be in Ithaca, which was, you know, about an hour drive away or hour 15 minutes or something. And I was there like twice and there's just not a whole lot around here, um, going on. And so I, I get, Totally. You know, it's, it's amazing because what you can learn just through osmosis by visiting somebody and uh mm-hmm. you know asking some questions and stuff is massive yeah no it really is um I, every time i go to paul components and, and just walk through there i'm always asking people stuff and um yeah just yeah exactly always just learning through osmosis you just you watch watch somebody who's good at something do anything and you're gonna learn something from it yeah um so yeah, no, it's, it's been, it's been huge. Um, you know, ch- yeah, like, like you're saying, uh, Chico's community is, is pretty awesome for cycling. Um, you know, we've got upper Bidwell park here, so we have a huge mountain biking scene, um, but, I mean, a big road scene also, and, uh, gravel roads around here are just out of control. I mean, they just go forever. So yeah, cycling in general is really strong, which is cool. It means just, there's a lot of support, um, just in the air for that. But yeah, guys like Paul and and everybody that works there is just so great. Travis has just absolutely been a dear to me. He's just so wonderful, and and those guys have helped me out so much um, over the last couple of years, just getting everything going, which is just yeah, yeah, so cool. So much, so much uh, thanks and appreciation to them. Oh man, I'm endlessly jealous. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah it's, it's pretty freaking we're, great, we're finally today is like the nicest day we've had in quite a while here in syracuse and it was like i was walking my dog and it's pretty nice and temperate today and i'm like this this is good but the the winters here are just brutal they're so oh, so dude. long and gray and i'm just always california dreaming <laughs> <laughs> yeah i won't describe what it's like here today then <laughs> Uh, yeah. So we had a, we had a really good conversation when I was at NABS last year in Sacramento and I met you and saw your stuff. Um, you had, 
I forget the details now. I haven't seen a photo of it in a while. Was it there in person or did you have photos of it? It was like a fork with like triple plate crown and there was carbon fiber involved. (laughs) And it was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It's really interesting. And, uh, and that was something that you had some experience with those mediums from some other stuff that you had made prior to building bikes, right? Yeah, I've, I mean, I've, I've dabbled in a lot of stuff. I did, I did a little bit of carbon repair myself for, for just a little bit, mostly just experimenting on myself. But, um, yeah, that was, that was kind of a cool project. Um, I wish I had more energy to put into it, but I just don't have the energy and time at the moment. But yeah, what, what the idea was is, um, so that, that fork was on a rando bike that I built for the show. And, the the issue that we were having was you couldn't find a good carbon fork that was in a higher offset to create a low trail geometry for randonneuring bikes, and um, they, they just didn't exist. You couldn't find it, and and any of the forks out there, you know, all the cross forks and everything, the axle to crown is like four hundred millimeters, and and most six fifty B rando bikes are like three eighty five axle to crown, um, and you know, in the like sixty to seventy millimeter offset range, which is way higher. Than a 45 mil offset right Mm -hmm. um and so that was something that that mitch brought up uh to me we were talking about it he's like yeah that's you know it doesn't exist it'd be cool if if something like that happened so my buddy nathan who does carbon repair um we sat down together with mitch and kind of okay well what would be you know all the features that that you would want to have you know what does what does a random fork need to have to be functional um you know it has to have good provisions for uh fenders um needs to have some rack mounting points uh the axle crown needs to be this uh, offset that blah 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 um so we kind of set out to design something um i designed it all in solidworks first it's it, it basically we ended up building it um it, yeah, it ended up being like a triplane carbon fork, uh, full carbon everything. Um, got the axle to crown where it needs to be, and then uh, I did some FEA analysis and SolidWorks to make sure that it was going to be you know adequately stiff enough to to withstand you know disc brake loads and whatnot. Um, oh, that was the other thing; it was supposed to be disc brake too. So it's kind of like modern <laughs> modern take on a on a rando fork. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so so basically designed it all up in SolidWorks, and then we started cutting out parts. Um, I machined the you know aluminum, uh, basically dropouts for lack of better terms, and um, we cut out these plates for the the crown and uh, started bonding stuff together. And it it was a really cool thing. Um, yeah, basically just ran out of time to to continue with it, but yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I think it's super interesting. I, when I got into frame building, I really had an affinity for old school brazed stuff by laminates and mm. fillets and lugs and carved details. And that stuff will always have a soft spot in my heart. But, uh, man, I just also really love when people take, you know, different uh, mediums that haven't been used or they haven't been used in a particular way and involving like, you know, CAD to, to make really... Um, thorough and you know robust designs for things before you even start and uh cutting parts and i just uh i don't know i just get so excited about you know there's no end point of like well we've done it all and we figured it all out it's like there's always more to do you know if you're trying to make the most performance oriented (laughs) road bike or something that's very narrowly defined it can be a little bit daunting maybe to think that you're going to massively improve on that but then there's yeah like a rando fork well that's not really supported that well by industry it's a little bit more Mm -hmm. of a niche thing and you know low trail and your different considerations and axle to crown and material properties that you want for ride quality and weight balance and all this stuff and so like yeah in, in a space like that it's not all totally figured out yet and nailed down and there's a lot of room totally. for, for doing it. And, and sometimes what you're trying to do is not necessarily just to make the highest performance, but sometimes there's, there's other considerations like just making it freaking cool and, uh, or, you know, making it really <laughs> sure. serviceable or whatever it is. Um, there's yeah, just, yeah. I get excited about these like new frontiers that, uh, there's, there's always room, room to like to move in a new direction. Yeah. Hell Yeah. Yeah, there's there's always there's always a new direction somewhere. Um, it's hard hard to find these days in in cycling, and that's uh, 
that's that's okay but uh yeah no that was that was definitely a fun one that was that like you said it was pretty obvious that the um the big brands just straight up don't support you can't really find anything like that so we wanted to wanted to give our hand and and get people excited about it yeah for sure um what else Uh, so like uh you i've seen you've made cross bikes and mountain bikes and clearly uh, some rando stuff I mean, like what, what kind of bikes get you excited? Um, and what kind of stuff do you, you know, more focus on? I mean, I imagine it has to do with the kind of riding that you're most familiar with and most stoked on. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's exactly it. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in this area, uh, you know, Bidwell Park, uh, where all of our mountain bike trails are, it's really rocky and technical. Um, yeah, just like a lot of kind of like steepish pitchy stuff all the trails are really narrow um it's basically a hard pan with like rolly rock over top and lava cap everywhere um and that's the kind of stuff i just love um so yeah mountain biking um mountain biking is 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 a big thing for me um also too we have all these gravel roads and uh like i was mentioning earlier i I live right on honey run road which is uh one of the best roads that leads literally right into the foothills like i'm I'm in the canyon uh going right up into the foothills into the sierra nevada so um i do spend a lot of time on my gravel bike um uh, riding around up there and, and you know there's some there's some kind of rocky stuff and um, you know, I'll hit trail on that too. So, so pretty much I, I, I like to build anything that goes in the dirt. Um, you know, I'm totally open to, to building road bikes and whatnot too, but, uh, but, but what I'm most passionate about is, is riding in the dirt. And, uh, so yeah, th- that would be pretty much gravel bikes, uh, gravel bikes, mountain bikes and, and variations of those. Yeah. Tell me about the handlebars you've been making. Those are pretty sweet. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Thanks. Um, yeah, that was that was kind of a fun project. Um, basically, it it was spurred from a couple of things. Um, I I took on this frame job uh, uh, from a friend of mine, and he had this crazy design, and, and it was going to require. Uh, doing a lot of tube bending, and so before I jumped into that, I wanted to make sure that I was all tuned up and and uh, you know could produce good clean bends. So I decided to make some handlebars, and uh, and so yeah, ordered up some material and started goofing around with it. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty fun making bars. Um, I was borrowing my dad's Hossfeld tubing bender that he's had forever, and actually he he made most of it. Um, just wow. copied it off of his buddy's, uh, Hossfeld. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, um, got a couple different rises that I've settled on. I have like a, like an 85 mil rise, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, big, big mountain bar, um, like 10 degree back sweep or something. Um, and then kind of have a lower rise one too, but that was, that was a, a fun, fun project to do, um, just to get that dialed and, and, um, yeah got them all brushed up and braised some nickels on the ends and yeah it's it's fun that's awesome yeah hell yeah yeah handlebars are i've never made any um but i was thinking i might do like a a youtube video series on making a simple set of handlebars or something because you know i can show off my own bender and i could get familiar with that process so that when somebody is thinking about buying my bender in part for making handlebars i'll have some experience on that and i'll say yeah it's really good for this and you're going to run into issues with this or whatever it'd be good for me to know what i'm talking about with helping those customers and it would just be fun you know it'd be cool i got this mountain bike that i'm building up and um i'll probably just start with some you know off the shelf bars or something to get rolling into to see how i like the fit and the feel of it but uh but after that you know then i'll have a, a starting place for i could make i could make like bull moose bars or something although the idea is to not really have any stem length so that's maybe right, make sense right. but i could do an integrated stem or something or i could just whatever uh yeah be, be a lot of fun maybe make them out of titanium i'm not not too good with titanium <laughs> yet but it, uh you know sit down for a day or two and just bang out some welds and figure out my back purge Totally, totally. Yeah, um, I I played around with some bull moose bars uh, at first. I was doing those for a bit, and I I ended up I I made one that had basically like no stem. I think the effective stem length was like twenty six millimeters. Holy cow! And yeah, so yeah, you could totally do something like that. And that with that bar, um, I just rolled the bar on a tubing roller, um, so it had a nice subtle bend to it, and then you know rolled it up at the right angle or whatever. Um, but 
Yeah, one of the things I I've found uh, is is the toughest for bend and handlebars is you got to get the bend like the the center of the bends as close as possible together. Mm -hmm. That was definitely something that's a a, a pain in the ass, and I ended up uh, modifying some of the dies yeah. um, for that Hosfeld to to be able to accommodate that. Yeah, yeah, like you're saying that the transition from the one bend into the other one where it yeah the yeah the straight section in between you want to be the shortest totally totally yeah. yeah or else you end up with just a monster rise or your your grip length gets too short because you gotta use up all this real estate in the middle to, in between your you know your first and second bend yeah yeah that's a good point uh i hadn't considered that but definitely um you know i see that a lot with seat stays and stuff uh, i'm very aware that you know, th yeah. there's a, there's a minimum length with most benders and, uh, and you can always modify stuff and make stuff custom, but a general purpose off the shelf bender generally doesn't uh, give you, you know, there, there's some distance that you need between those. So. Totally, totally. Heck yeah. What do you, uh, with the, the, you have a couple bikes with the, you know, the, the rolled top tube. Um, mm -hmm. how do you go about that process? Yeah, basically, um, so that's all done on a, a pretty basic uh, uh, Harbor Freight uh, tubing roller, and um, the the cleanest way that I've done it is I'll, I'll take two top tubes that are that are similar um, and just uh, just just uh, take them together at the, at, in the middle um, and roll two at once, and that just gives a better transition. But but yeah, basically I'm just rolling them in, in a in a tubing roller, um, got to do really slow, got to do really evenly. Um, like I'll, I'll go through and, and mark out, um, half inch graduations from the ends of the tubes in and label each one of them. So, you know, I'll roll from number one to the other end to number one, then number one and a half to one and a half to two to two and increasing the pressure as I go. And that, that helps create the, um, not not have any uh, lumps in the transition between when you add pressure um, to that center roller. Um, definitely kind of finicky, and you got to really pay attention. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I do it, and and I've been getting pretty good results. Um, you know, if if once it's painted and you can't really see any any ripples or anything like that, that's that's a good sign. Um, and yeah. yeah, yeah, it's been been fun. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, uh, that hardtail that you had, I think it was at NABS last year. And yeah. It's, it's red and you got the, the long travel fork on it. And, um, the whole frame is like mostly pretty straight lines and pretty angular. And uh, I like that. And then it's got the, the subtle radius on the top tube. And I think that's a really sharp aesthetic. I think like the, they complement each other nicely. It's not, it's not totally swoopy, but it's not totally straight lines either. And the integrated, um, totally. headset bearings in the, right. Those are integrated in your head tube. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. That looks awesome. Yeah. That's a really yeah, sharp bike. Thanks, and the man. paint job too. It's like, it could be a solid color and it would look fine, but whatever you have going on there, it's just really sharp. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I had a nice fade. That was that was a Russ Pickett paint job, and he's a he's the fade master. Um, oh yeah, yeah, he, he does a damn good job. That's awesome. But um, yeah, yeah, and it's fun too with rolling the tubes. Like the you know the the main reason why I started doing it was was not to give a curved top tube. I mean the the aesthetic is is nice, especially when it's it's a subtle one like that. But um, main thing is it ovalizes the tubes. I, I use you know an oversized uh, uh, rollers for them, so it allows them to def uh, deform a little bit, yeah. um, and that just allows you know a little more say vertical compliance um but main thing um you know it would stiffen it up side to side some too um and that's where like pretty much all, all the down tubes on, on the bikes that build are, are really heavily ovalized um just to try to get the thing to be a little more a little more planted when you you know bury it into a corner um your bottom bracket's not going to have that moment where it kind of sways and then settles in um you know i, I want to just just put the thing down on its side and it just stays. Um, and that, that definitely seems to help with that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like you said, when, when you were young, you were exposed to all sorts of metal work and you were telling me that you had, uh, you said you rode m motor motocross or something. Yeah. I've or? done all actually kind of all sorts, uh, 
you know, I grew up in the dirt. I did a little bit of motocross as a young person. I also raced go-karts. We had these, uh, outlaw cart track around here. And, um, you did that from like ages six through 12 and, and like the last rig I was in, uh, I, I don't know if you're much of a, uh, motorhead, but, but these things have, uh, CR 500 engines. So they're a single, uh, single cylinder 500 CC two stroke motor. Wow. Um, yeah, I put out like over 80 horse and Holy the, cow. yeah. And like the whole <laughs> cart does not weigh much at all. Like it's pretty freaking cool. They, That's they awesome. set you back in the seat so hard. It's like hard to see, hard to breathe. It's wow. Cool. That's a, that's more um, of like an off, off-road all-terrain kind of thing. Yeah. They're, they're on a dirt oval tracks. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, I've done that stuff. And then, uh, you know, my, my dad raced flat track, uh, back in the day. And so I've, I've always grown up kind of doing that kind of thing. And, and then, uh, around when I was 12, I got a, a road race, uh, bike, uh, mo- motorcycle and started road racing. And then, uh, when I was 14, we got like a, a 125 GP bike and started racing all over the States and did that for a few years and pretty successfully. And, um, yeah. And then, then from there I got, I got injured, which didn't allow me to do that anymore. Um, and pretty much just put all that energy right into bicycles and just been riding bicycles full time since then. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, when I see your bikes, they look really sharp and I think you have a good eye for, I mean, you know, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, the the bike frame building world is uh you know it's it's got to look good right it's got to it's yeah like it, sure. it, it needs to be good and it needs to function well and it also needs to look good and I think you do a good job of that uh you know Thanks. with the other stuff that you made and you your other experiences prior to bike frame building um, how much was you know the aesthetic a component of of that sort of work. Yeah, I think I don't know how how much it came from the other things that I've done, but but you know, paying attention to how something looks is is I don't know, it's it's something I've always been aware of, but um I've always kind of lived by the belief of you know, the most the most beautiful things are the things that are that are absolutely most functional. So, I mean, you look at, you know, turbine blades or you know, stuff that NASA's working on, it's like that is the most gorgeous stuff and yep. and the reason why is because it, it is it's built out of pure necessity um and you know it's kind of i don't know like fractalization or whatever in nature i mean it's 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 beautiful for a reason and um so i, I think there's there's uh, a, a lot of that or, or I, I try to hold true to that um but i you know i definitely make make decisions that are going to increase the aesthetics of something um but I will never do that if it's going to decrease the function of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. That's something that I've yeah definitely been aware of. But uh, try to try to make it be a, a you know an end 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 result of something that functions well or is built built yeah. to function well. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about. You know, you mentioned uh, how you were always into bikes and making stuff and you saw at one point that frame building could possibly be like a, like a business, you know, like a viable way to make a living or something. And yeah, for a lot of people, the idea of, you know, working in your shop and having a cool shop and making something that you're proud of with your hands, that's a very romantic idea. Uh, <laughs> but the difference between doing it for you and doing it for fun versus doing it as a business and, you know, trying to manage customer expectations, ship on time, make a good website. You know, there's, there's so many things that you have to do if you're trying to do it as a business that you don't have to do otherwise. You know, like, what's your experience of that and the, the trouble that comes with, you know, trying to, to make a buck on it? Uh, you know, it, it changes the nature of it and, and it can be harder. But then also, I mean, that's kind of the dream, right, is to like... quit your day job uh what's been your experience with with it so far with those sorts of things yeah that's yeah that is a great point um it is very romantic and it also is much less romantic when you have to run an entire business by yourself um (laughs) so many aspects going on it's it's kind of crazy um yeah that's that's that is a huge um that's a huge part of it. And you have to be up on all that. Um, I'm, uh, fortunately I've had enough experience, uh, in business that, that I'm, I'm 
pretty, I was pretty well prepped for all that. Uh, I, I grew up in a, in a small business. My dad's a small business owner. Uh, I managed his shop for a few years before, uh, uh, managing a bicycle shop for, I did that for about five years. I'm still kind of involved with them. Um, so I've, I've done a lot of the backend stuff and, and aware of what all that, that requires. So that, that definitely helped not being, it helped me not being dumped straight into more steep learning curves. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's a process and it's a balance. Um, I'm fortunately at the point where things are kind of getting ironed out a little bit. You know, my, my website's pretty functional. Um, and I'm getting my processes a little more dialed in as far as, uh, you know, taking in jobs and, and, you know, getting through all that smoothly. Um, so it's, it's definitely, it's definitely better. Um, but still, I, I mean, I gotta say, I, I go to the shop pretty much every day, whether I need to or not. And that's just what I love to do. Like, I'll just go there and I'm just so stoked to be building bikes and building shit. Like that's, that's what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so Whether it's, it's building it for myself, which obviously is, you know, the excitement of, all right, I get to go thrash this thing around, but then I go build something for somebody else and I get to build something neat. And, you know, I'm usually stoked on whatever I'm building for somebody else. Cause I, I get to, you know, improve a process or whatever. Um, and so, and you know, the, 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 people are always so pumped and excited about the bike you're building for them. And so that's, that's pretty, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool deal in general. Yeah, absolutely. I I've been really in the zone lately in my shop and I, you know, missed a podcast last week, uh, you know, for a number of reasons, but I've just, I've been working a lot of long days and I just, I'm so in love with it, man. Just like, be, like yeah, being yeah. in my shop and I, I got this new CNC lathe that I'm like kind of back burner working on. And I got all these, yeah. this new like fourth axis CNC machining projects. I just can't get enough of it, man. I'm just like, <laughs> I just Sick. want more all the time. And, um, you know, I've definitely felt that way about, you know, when I was, when my shop was more set up for frame building too, there've been times where it's just like, you know, there's just nowhere I'd rather be. And it's what a good feeling to, to yeah. have that, especially in, in a time like this where, you know, you, you can't go out to the restaurants and you can't go out to the movies and you, you can't hardly totally. see your friends and that's hard, but, uh, you know, like to, to at least have this other place that, uh, you have all to yourself that that's amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's definitely, uh, definitely been a thing too um throughout this these kind of crazy times going on and and yeah i'm super fortunate to you know be still working and be able to 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 feel good about the safety of and like impact my community between me i I leave my house i go to my shop i leave my shop i go to my house like yeah so that's pretty we're pretty fortunate in that that way and i I know it's it's not the same for everybody and it's Mm -hmm. pretty rough but um but yeah yeah i'm i'm yeah really fortunate for that yeah uh we talked a little bit about you know, being in Chico and, and hanging out with Paul component and the crew, uh, there was a project. I don't know how much you were involved, but I know, you know, some about it with Paul made a stem for, you know, seven eighths or 22.2 millimeter, uh, bar mm-hmm. clamp, which, you know, industry doesn't really support. So if you, if, for people who don't know this, you know, generally the grips and the, and the brake levers and stuff are made to mount on a 22.2 millimeter bar. And usually where the stem grabs would be 31.8 or, on road bikes, it's different diameters, but it was never 22.2 millimeters at the stem. That's kind of weird. But yeah. if you're a small frame builder and you just have straight gauge 22.2 millimeter tubes, wouldn't it be convenient if there was just a stem that you could buy? You didn't need an adapter and you could just put the bars that you made straight into a stem. And hell yeah, if it was a Paul Boxcar stem, that'd look really cool too. And so at some <laughs> point, uh, you know, Paul and company got the got the thought to, to build a stem that actually just was made to clamp on these these bars and I'm sure they don't sell a huge quantity of them because there's not many handlebars that would go in there, but they made some, uh, were you involved in that or did you just buy one or what do you know about that? Uh, yeah. So I, I, I can't say I'm involved in it at all. I will not, not claim any of that, but, um, yeah, I mean, they, they definitely built them for the, the small steel bar market and, you know, the oddity bars and, and whatnot that are out there. Um, those are all 22 too. And, and normally you'd have to, 
put a shim, um, you know, to shim it up to 31.8 or whatever. Um, and that's, you know, I don't know. I'd, uh, the shims work, but I'd prefer to not shim something if, yeah. if possible. And, it's you know, Paul cool. and those, yeah, yeah. Um, and Paul and Travis and those guys, like, they, they all have, you know, oddity bars and, and other goofy bars and stuff that, that are not the status quo 31.8 or 35.0 or ridiculously oversized mountain bars now. Um, and so I'm sure, like, like most of the things there, I, I feel like they, you know, they want to build something because they want it, because they would use it, because they feel, um, you know, there's going to be some, some use for it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. That's that's what I would imagine the the story is behind the twenty two twos, and yeah, I'm totally stoked that they have them. And every time somebody buys a bar for me, it's like, hey, you should get a Paul Box car. They make it in twenty two two, and and half the time people are like, what? No shit. I'm like, yeah, you don't have to use a stem. Go buy one. <laughs> and they're pretty that's pumped awesome. on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking more about with my CNC machining process, when I first got started, I was so bad at making things that I, um, or inexperienced or slow. And I had an old machine and whatever that like, if you specialize in a niche where you provide something kind of unique, that's not offered by other people and it's inherently small batch, then having an old slow machine is less of an impediment because you're not really competing at scale at a, at a sure. more modest price. It's it's even if you do it on an expensive fast machine, it's still going to cost a lot. And so like that was where I needed to start with my business. And lately I'm getting so much better at making stuff and more quickly. And I have a more capable machine and I don't know that I want to go into stems and stuff, but I'll see them sometimes. And I'm just like imagining the workflow and the process for me to make that on my machine. And I'm like, Oh, that would be fun though. Uh, it would like definitely be yeah. cool to make that. And then to see what people do where they're like, Oh yeah. So like, these stems exist, but nobody was making one for 22.2. Like that's, I just get so stoked on the idea of providing a new thing that doesn't really exist. Or if it did exist, it wasn't exactly the way that we wanted it. So like, well, we just went out and we made it, we made it our way. And that's, that's so cool. I love seeing when people do that. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, tell me about the, the dropouts. Uh, I see that you, you machine some of your own dropouts on these frames too. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that was a design I'd been playing around with and it, it, it's definitely been a, um, it's been an evolution. Um, but yeah, I, I just, just a brief description. If you, you can go on my website or whatever, or Instagram and look at photos of them, but, um, yeah, it's essentially, it's a, it's just a, a round aluminum insert, um, that uh is encapsulated by uh, a clamp uh and the clamp uh like the, the bolt and clamp mechanism is is integrated into the seat stay um so basically the the inserts lightweight because it's aluminum um ends up being a little bit uh larger in diameter uh which allows it to be a little stiffer uh interface to the you know chain stain seat stay and whatnot um so yeah just trying to I, I was basically just just looking for a way to always lighten things up but uh not going to lighten it up and, and compromise its strength so so i wanted to come up with something that would be a little more rigid a little bit lighter weight um, it made sense to, to machine up these, these aluminum pills to go in there. Um, and I'm, I'm playing around with one. I'm, I'm building a prototype right now. That's going to be, uh, once again, just another, a little bit better of a design than the previous one. It's going to look the same, um, just be a little easier to manufacture and should be also a little more, a little more robust too. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's I been love fun. It. And I'm, what yeah, go ahead. I was saying uh, I'm just starting to play around with. I've I've played around with some previous ones with making them into uh, an eccentric and, and having to be a single speed, um, which is uh, which is cool. And then I realized, okay, if I actually want to do that and do it well, I need to update the the design a little bit. So that's what this this next prototype is. It's going to be a um, it's going to be a single speed rig, um, dedicated single speed. So it'll it'll have an eccentric pill in it and a way to grab it. Um, uh, and adjust the uh, eccentric, um, and to get both sides lined up evenly, and um, yeah, should be should be pretty cool. I don't know. We'll we'll see. I, I think it I think it'll work out pretty well. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love bringing new things into the world like that and seeing other people do that stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, there's all sorts of uh, nifty and and brilliant sorts of solutions that people have come up with for for you know dropouts and chain tensioning on single speeds and different things. And oh man! Like the uh, the ones I've seen, uh, I think Oddity and Black Sheep and a couple other people I've seen do where the the chain stay has like a threaded piece that can extend <laughs> or something. I forget yeah. who started that or, or the story with that, but those are really cool. And just so many like slick ideas out there. And it's, um, it's totally. very time consuming to manually machine that stuff in a small batch. And if you're a small builder yeah, and you don't no build shit. a lot of bikes, you can't hardly afford to get, paragon or some shop to make you a, a, a run of stuff because all the programming and fixturing and setup time to get going on those is cost prohibitive until you get into big quantities but of course you're never going to use big quantities and by the time you did your design would probably change and so uh totally it's hard but on the other hand it's like well you know you're making it custom you want it to be what you want it to be and when you do those details it really makes it special and hopefully better and so you know there's a reason for it totally yeah and that's man that's something about all the time it's like uh uh yesterday or, or yeah last, yesterday evening i was i was machining up um some of these dropouts and it's like fuck it just takes so long and and you know i try to do my best to be to not waste movements when i'm you know running the lathe and and make my tool changes count and blah 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 but still it just takes so long when you're doing it manually yeah. and it's like for for me um because i'm doing such low volume of everything it's like you know so so the dropouts i was making last night i made two sets of them because i i knew i was going to have a use for both of them and okay that's fine but you know, maybe I could have saved a little more time by keeping all my tooling up and doing, you know, double that. But at the same time, maybe I'm going to change the, de- the design by then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's another thing, too. It's like I, I have a hard time making stuff in batches because it's like, shit, I learn so much every time I build something. Mm-hmm. And I'm always trying to tweak and improve it that there's... It's like not even doesn't even make sense to yeah. to batch anything at this point until um, yep. I'm just totally locked in on something. Yeah, with the stuff I make, it's just it's the worst feeling when like you make a big batch of something and then there's some detail about it that you don't love, and it's like, uh, well, totally. it's like absolutely acceptable, but I'm just like not stoked on it, and now I have like right. months worth of these things, and you know, thankfully <laughs> that doesn't happen very often, and it's usually it's usually that sort of like you know, when you really care about something and you're just like really critical about all the details in ways that (laughs) nobody else would be. And so like, you know, you got to learn where to draw the line and and what stuff is worth redoing and modifying and what stuff isn't. But, um, sure. There's all sorts of stuff that I've like put back in the machine after I had it anodized and I like changed the clearance on some little bore or something. And it's like, (laughs) it like doubles the amount of time that I put into the part by the time I'm done, but it's like, well, I had to do it though. So yeah totally totally and yeah and that's hard too because you want to be stoked on on your product right exactly and if if you're not totally pumped on it for whatever reason it could be something totally minimal but if you're not pumped on it then that's just makes it harder too and and yeah you do got to realize that even if you're not pumped on it the the end user they might be still stoked on it yeah Um, oh yeah usually yeah yeah but still yeah yeah you gotta you gotta gotta be stoked on it yeah it's 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 such a balance especially when you're trying to really do it as a business because when it's a hobby and when it's a passion you know that's the fun of it is like really making it great and and sparing no expense and and all that stuff but i mean there's a very real battle at hand which is that like if if you treat everything like time is not you know any sort of uh limited resource like you want, you want to stay in business, you know, like you need to know where to draw the line and you need to know when good enough is good enough. And yet like, you know, people who make stuff by hand, we're not making crap, you know, we're not doing it just to do it and just to get paid. It's, it's about, you know, quality and pride in your work. And it's a never ending battle. Like you, there's never an easy answer yeah. with that sort of thing uh, because both sides have huge consequences. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, uh, what's yeah. next, man? What are you what What are your uh, What are your big upcoming projects? Well, um, I'm actually I just started on um, a full suspension design oh, recently. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, um, yeah, that's that's been a fun one. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time on SolidWorks lately, and uh, um, 
yeah, I'm I'm pretty stoked with where it's going so far. I I just got a shock in the mail yesterday, and like this morning, I was I was modeling up this new shock so I could uh, put it in the system and, and see see how everything fits. But um, yeah, it, it's pretty fun. Uh, I, it's it's going to be a single pivot design, um, but there's a handful of issues that I've been finding with the single pivot designs that most people are. Because of the limited shock uh, position or, 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 or um, uh, space in the front triangle, um, people seem to be putting the shocks in a kind of, I don't know, not, not as good of a location as it could be. Um, and a lot of the single pivots seem to have um, like a dig, uh, digressive um, uh, ratio, um, and which just makes the thing super squishy in the end of the travel, which is, which is not good. Um, and so I wanted to make it a little more progressive and I ended up pointing the shock down. Um, I'm going to have to make a, make kind of a, a box in the middle of the down tube to, to support it. But, um, yeah, that's been super fun. I've got, got my, got my model set up with, uh, with anti-squat and anti-rise lines and, um, have been, kind of analyzing the the curves of that and i i think i i think i have a thing going on i i keep i keep second guessing myself trying to trying to play devil's advocate and figure out why <laughs> why it wouldn't work well um but I, it seems to be so um yeah I've, I've been uh been playing around a ton with that and i'm i'm stoked to to start on something soon um i'm definitely gonna take my time before i start building it because i just want to make sure the the design and models all totally worked out first but um yeah should be should be a pretty fun one that's awesome you know something yeah. you said uh really stuck out to me which is that you got the shock and then you began to model it in cad and mm -hmm. um i don't know if if you email rock shocks or whoever if they would ever give you a cad model of the parts but it seems like generally with the bike industry that's not supported. Like you can go to Paragon Machine Works yeah. and Mark is uh, amazing. And there's like a PDF and a step totally file of every everything. part, which is incredible. Yeah. And, and he deserves like a beer every day for free for the rest of his life for that. But, <laughs> um, totally. uh, but nobody else really seems to have that. And I, I think I get it because there was, there's like 0.1% of the cycling population who would ever do anything with that and it costs sure. money to make these good files and maybe there's some issues with you know if they make revisions and they got to keep stuff updated and whatever but like man it's you know like being more into the uh, cnc machining world when i buy components for my fixtures and i buy vices and i buy tool holders and stuff like these things pretty much all have cad models so you can download 24 7 from the website and it's so helpful when you're trying to totally. plan and design things to be able to just populate this into your cad software and um, I love bike CAD and I love uh, even, you know, just winging stuff and, and you know, uh, Sharpie sketches and all that. But a CAD design is just an incredibly powerful tool to have at your disposal. As someone who makes things, I, I can't recommend it enough to, to get Fusion 360 or, or SolidWorks or whatever and get up to speed with it because what it opens, the doors that it opens are massive, especially if you want to do something complicated like making your own dropouts or full suspension or whatever. And um, to not be able to just, you know, get a Shimano crank or, you know, some derailleur or whatever and just throw it in your design and, you know, snap it to, you know, you joint it into your piece and then have it rendered. It's a uh, it's a huge problem. You know, some things are easier to model than others, but it's just it's pretty frustrating that, that this stuff doesn't just exist. No, totally. I mean, yeah, it's like you said, if, you, if you're dealing with a, a simple 2D drawing, yeah, just draw it out. You got a piece of graph paper and you, you can do wonders with that. But yeah, if you're dealing with three-dimensional space and, and you know, like you're saying, you're, you're dealing with tooling and whatnot, you have to know if it's going to work before you order it. You know, you can't just buy expensive tooling and, yeah. and hope that it's going to fit yeah. um, or clear or whatever. And yeah, I mean, uh, to go more on that, like with, with this mountain bike uh, project, um, you know, I've got to uh, model the, the, uh, the, the bearing pivot. Um, I got to model a crank set, chain ring, um, shock, uh, all that stuff has to be modeled so that I can make sure it clears. Um, and you know, there's a lot of shit going on between the tire and chain ring and, oh, yeah. and where the, you know, swing arms going. And so that, that, 
that stuff has to be modeled first. I mean, I could half-ass wing it and just make a suspension kinematics and then kind of go from there. But, but man, I, I don't want to have to do that. And then you're going to end up finding, you know, problems later. It's like, Ooh, clearance is really bad here. And I'm going to have to sacrifice mm-hmm. stiffness in this area because yeah. of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to spend a lot of time modeling just crank arms and chain rings and crap like that, which, yeah, yeah yes, it would be really nice to just plug one in. Yeah. And, the better I get with CAD and, you know, I've only really been using CAD software for like two years now, but I use it every day. So I'm, you know, getting, getting up to speed always. And, uh, the better I get at it with building your models thoughtfully and using like parametric stuff and the layers, you know, starting with the right kind of sketch and and all this stuff, uh, it -hmm. gets so that I can imagine if you were, if you did put all this design time in and you made your first, um, prototype of your suspension and you really liked it but you wanted to change something if you had done your model just right you'd be able to just move a couple points in your CAD file and then everything would update around it and you'd have totally. a slightly different geometry and and it would be you'd be off to the races again making the next one and depending on how you made all those components it might still be a mountain of work or it might not be so much you know some of the stuff that I do with the CNC machining process now you can just update the model and the tool pads are smart enough to update around it and you just Sweet. you just <laughs> export the program to the machine and you just start cutting another blank of material and it That's depends awesome. on it is amazing um, and there's a lot of caveats that go into that to, to make that ever happen but uh, but the better you, the better you get at wrangling the software and the more sophisticated you know your your work holding is and stuff you can really you can really just do that and it's it's incredible um, I don't know that I'm ever going to be designing a full suspension mountain bike from the ground up but uh, the better I equip my CAD skills and my my machine uh the easier it would be like absolutely it just gets to be very simple <laughs> totally totally yeah that's something i think about all the time uh my my cad teacher in high school he would always tell us uh, you spend 90 percent of your time figuring out how you're going to model it and then 10 percent is drawing it yeah uh, and and that's totally it and and i think about that too it's like okay is, is this going to be something that i'm going to alter in the future like you're saying okay is it alterable in the ways that i would need to or if i'm if i'm designing something that i'm going to machine so like that uh that tripline carbon fork that we were talking about uh the dropouts i, I how i modeled it was as as w- in order for each step of the machining process. So I started out with a round billet mm-hmm. and then, you know, did, uh, you know, a cut extrude and blah, 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 blah. Um, every process in order. And so then that made it super easy to, uh, to print out, you know, my, my drawings, um, for each one. It's like, okay, cool. I'm going to, you know, bore it this much. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to put it at two degrees and I'm going to do this and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, so yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> what the manual G code, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's really cool to see what you got going on. I'm excited. I, I think, uh, I don't want to say this to 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 say other people aren't going to be doing cool things, but I'm excited to see what you do in the next couple of years. I think uh, I think you have a lot of the oh, yeah. the core skills that that make for interesting output, and I've seen you already make a lot of cool stuff. So I'm pretty excited to follow along with what you do and to see what you bring to the the upcoming shows and and all that stuff because I think it's it's going to be. It's going to be cool, and I think you you have a lot of fun with what you do, and I can see that and the the brand and and all that. Fuck yeah! Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, there's it's it's a it's an exciting time for frame building. It's it's funny when I talk to different totally. people in the industry. Some people feel like more down on it, and like you know, like we had this boom ten years ago, and NABs really changed the game with frame building, and maybe it's like um, less of a renaissance moment or something. And and then I talk to other people who are just like really stoked on it, and it's hard for me to take the temperature of the the custom frame building world because I think a lot of people have different perspectives and they're sitting in a different spot. And I think also um, the bike industry has a way of like exhausting just about anybody who stays in it long enough and making just about everybody (laughs) feel jaded after a long enough period of time. And so a lot of times the way that somebody feels about the industry is really just kind of where they are on that inevitable trajectory of spending too long in the bike industry, especially certain sectors of the bike industry. Like if you, if you were in a bike shop for 20 years, like you're just going to, 
you're probably going to hate it after 20 years, but not always. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's exhausting. Yeah. Man. It's, it's hard to make a living yeah. in this business. And um, there's just a lot of things that go into it. And, and, totally. and yet all of us in the bike industry find ourselves here in spite of that, because of how much passion we bring to it and how, how, you know, just amazing it is. And, uh, you know, first thing I do when I hang up the, the call for this podcast is I'm going out for a bike ride because the weather is freaking awesome. And I, I'm stoked. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a passion-driven industry, man. That's that's for sure. And, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, that's that's what that's what keeps it going and, and keeps things fresh. But also, yeah, yeah, it, it can be, uh, yeah, it can be difficult. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, I think that wraps up most of what I had to, to chat about. I guess the the one thing that I like to ask everybody is, you know, advice that you have for your former self and or advice that you have for others. You know, like a couple years ago, if you could go back and tell yourself something that would have really helped you uh, or something that you see all these other newer frame builders struggling with, is there anything that comes to mind? Huh. Man so much there's so much that i've learned in the last couple years um shit any one thing i don't know there's god there's so much um fuck practice 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 uh man i i know one of the big things for for fillet braids and stuff um the the cleanup uh filing fillets is just so gnarly it just takes so long um, or, or, or shall I say with, with inadequate tools and if you're doing, uh, if, if you're making messy fillets, uh, that are uneven, man, the cleanup takes forever. And that's the one thing, if, if you can get that dialed and just practice, practice, practice that, that, that makes a huge difference. And that, that's been a big, big thing for me lately. It's just, just getting, getting my, my, get my brazing dialed so that i don't have to spend so much freaking time cleaning fillets and <laughs> yeah and like fortunately it's getting there but if off the torch it comes off with about the profile that you want yeah exactly exactly yeah. you don't have any low spots so then you got to file you know the, the rest of the good stuff down to the low spots so you don't have a pit or whatever mm -hmm. um yeah no that's that's a that's a pretty big one wasn't um, it like uh i feel like I don't know if it was Dave Kirk. Somebody said that one of these one of these builders who was real practiced with fillet brazing, you know, claimed to be able to just uh, take it out of the soak tank and just hit it with some emery cloth and it was done. You know, and uh, I'm sure uh, people who have a lot of experience with fillet brazing to different degrees, that's absolutely true. You know, because uh, totally. And and when I took a frame building class and we got a it was a lugged class, but there was a demo on fillet bracing and Herbie Helm who gave that demo and a fair amount of people know Herbie. Um, he did a great demo and he said, uh, you know, sometimes just 10 seconds with the torch reshaping a little piece of brass will save you 10 mm -hmm. minutes with the file. And that's uh, absolutely true. As far as I can tell that, uh, totally. you know, it, uh, you, you don't want to just roast the joint and stay there all day, but um, you know, if you can get it right off of the torch, which takes practice then it just makes your life so much easier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's totally true. I I saw I was some uh, video with Tom Ritchie in it, and you know he was claiming he was like, yeah, I can I can have this this fillet cleaned up in two minutes with the with the tools and whatnot I have, um, and you know he has he has a super unique uh, unique method of. of yeah running around, putting down a ton of brass and then running around with the torch after that and just flowing everything out, getting the fillet nice and smooth, nice, nice, you know, tangent lines up to the tubes. And yeah, apparently, I mean, you know, he's, he's the shit. Um, but, but to, to get a big fillet that's neat like that after, uh, off the torch and then be able to clean it up in a couple minutes. That's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a big difference between like, you know, the head tube top tube or, you know, those, those joints are mm -hmm. typically pretty easy for like, you know, access yeah. with your files and stuff, but you get totally. those, those sort of inside corners on the bottom bracket and the yeah. more difficult ones with the, the seat stays usually are kind of tricky to get at. And those ones yeah. just, you can spend, you know, 10 times longer on those joints than you do on totally. the other ones. It's like, Oh, you're doing the head tube, top tube. This is, this is easy. You know, I could do this for a couple minutes and just, you know, sand it off. Mm -hmm. Looks good. But no, I would always get these weird totally. lumps in the, 
in like the bottom bracket shell between like the the C tube and the do- down tube and the bottom bracket where it's sort of like an inside little corner and it's not that smooth and yeah. I know it's not going to look that smooth under paint but it's like you know I didn't have the tools to really get in there and so you're just just destroying your thumbs trying to to sand it because you you can't really get any there'd be better and worse tools i think maybe like a carbide burr on a on a um die grinder would really help if you were skillful with that approach or whatever but totally yeah that's that's kind of what i use on on a lot of those little inside um Mm -hmm. concaved uh radiuses that that's about the only thing i've found that that works decently Mm -hmm. do you see yourself uh you know, getting into a TIG process or, or you more entranced by the, the fillets? You know, the, uh, the fillet brazing is, is definitely something I'm really passionate about. And it's, it's a very, you know, romantic thing. Um, and, and I believe that, you know, if you want to build a bike that'll last a lifetime, that's the way to do it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been actually, I've been spending a lot of time with the TIG welder. I, I have a TIG welder now, um, and so I, I've, I've been putting in the time with that and I actually just finished my first TIG welded mountain bike frame, um, just, just recently and it came out really good. I'm, I'm pretty stoked on it. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, that, so that's, that's going to be something I'm, I'm, uh, I will be offering, uh, soon, um, as TIG welded frames also. And they definitely save some weight, man. Like I, I like to do big, big fillets cause they're pretty um they do add add weight to the frame if that's something you care about if you're you know trying to build a lightweight gravel bike or something yeah. um you can save same weight doing tig but um yeah not not they it's just not as pretty as some some big fillets so yeah do you see yourself ever uh getting into titanium you know maybe um i i yes i i, I could totally see myself doing that um you know i don't n- never say never um as of right now, I'm just kind of focused on, on what I'm doing right now, which is steel. Um, but yes, I, I've had a lot of thoughts about, Ooh, man, if, if, if I made that out of tie, that would be, you know, a lot better performing or, or, or just different or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm going to have to get my, my back purge game <laughs> yeah. more dialed to deal with that. And, yeah. um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely start experimenting with it at some point, but um yeah all in all in good time yeah excellent well uh let's uh let's wrap it up here so we can go for some bike rides uh thanks so much for uh, taking the time to be on the show pretty stoked to have you as a guest and i'm stoked to see what you what you do next yeah thanks joe um dude i really appreciate you hitting me up for this this is uh yeah this was a lot of fun yeah cool let's keep in touch all right man i'll talk to you later yep bye